Welcome everyone to the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Witcher, and today we're back with part two of IEP questions you must ask, preferably before the IEP meeting, because waiting till you get to the table is extremely difficult, uh, meaning that it builds a lot of anxiety and we tend to have to wait to get some of these answers. So no matter what your role is at the IEP table, parent, admin, teacher, therapist, these questions are for you to make sure that we truly are preparing a child for further education, employment, independent living by meeting their unique needs and building that appropriate education that they need. So let's go ahead and pick up right where we left off after part one. And um, I have six more questions for you here that you can take some notes, or of course, you can go download the whole list over at iepchecklist.com. Don't worry, if you don't have an IEP meeting right now, you don't have to um, wait until then to ask these questions. This is something you don't have to remember to do. Just go over to iepchecklist.com, download the list, and start working through these questions slowly, no matter where you're at in the IEP process. So our first question for today is, how are accommodations and modifications implemented? Meaning that every goal um, has supports written into it, and then there's another section in the IEP, your supports and services, or accommodations and modifications. It's labeled a little different depending on how your paperwork is set up, but bottom line is it exists. And a lot of times there are um, some misconceptions about how work is being completed, about who is doing what when it comes to making sure that a child's work is adapted or modified to meet them where they're at, especially when it comes to inclusion. So I want to you to make sure that before you get to your next IEP meeting, before you uh, start to even write the next set of IEP goals, it is so important for you to understand how accommodations and modifications are being implemented. And you start that question by going directly to the document that whether it's your child or it's the student that you're working on their IEP, and you take some notes about what is listed inside of the IEP so you know what questions you need to ask to other teachers or therapists on the team or building that communication between home to school parents you need to be asking the team how are these things being done so our second question for today is do we need any further data to make great decisions here's the thing we can only make decisions as good as our data meaning if I don't have good data I'm not going to be able to make a good decision. I'm going to make a bunch of decisions that's based on uh, feelings and what I think might be happening or what I'm assuming. So before you sit down to write that next IEP, and right now, no matter where you're at in the IEP process, you can start working on making sure that you have the right data. See, I've been to meetings with parents where the team is very proud when we come walking into the room and there are stacks of data. And I want you to hear this right now. The volume of data is not as important as the uh, streamlined version of taking data, meaning that, you know, really significant data based directly on what we're working on in the IEP or what we might want to work on in the IEP. 
More is not always better if it's just a bunch of pieces of paper that have a bunch of tally marks on it that are random skills or random behaviors or just random things happening throughout the school day. You have to get really streamlined in that process and make sure that you know what's important in the IEP or what might you want to be working on. This is key because how many times have you been to an IEP meeting and you're thinking, okay, let's talk about, we want to start working on money skills and we want to start working on the dollar rounding method. And we've never done that before. So let's just write a goal. No, you can't do that because we need some baseline data. We could assume that a child doesn't have any of those baseline skills to start this process, but what if they do? Then that's a goal that's not appropriate. Or what if we're going to be working on something like reading comprehension and answering WH questions? Do you have data on each one of those questions? Not just, you know, overall, who, what, when, where, why, not just overall. We want to know how many times can they answer the question of what or who or when. We want the individual data. We just don't want random comprehension data. So I want to make sure that before you walk into that next IEP meeting that you know if there's any further data you need before you walk into that room. Now, here is a question that gets left off of the table like away from the IEP conversation and it needs to be brought to the forefront of conversation because it is a serious issue in special education. The third question that I want you to ask is, does anyone need further training to make the IEP happen? The reason you want to ask this is because teachers don't know everything, believe it or not. We try. Having been a former special education teacher, I can tell you I dug into my studies. I learned from my colleagues. Uh, I'm a special needs sibling, so I watched you know, my brother's teachers and I've been in the special needs community my entire life. But still to this day, I would need training if certain things were put into an IEP of one of my students. If I was still a classroom teacher and I was given communication goals to work on, on a specific AAC device that I'd never used before, I need training. It can be difficult, depending on the culture inside of a school, for a teacher or a therapist to stick up for themselves and ask for training. Also, parents can get training for anything that a child needs to move towards a goal. If it's written in the IEP and the parent needs training on that, that is absolutely 100% a valid ask. So it's time to start having the conversation. If the culture is that you can have this as an open conversation at the table, talking about who needs training, what type of training, go for it. If this is something that you may need to approach before the IEP meeting, just to ensure that you're getting an open conversation of, do you know how to do this? I can tell you um, way back when I was first starting teaching, it was actually um, my favorite district that I worked in. And um, I had a tough classroom. Uh, and by tough, I just mean that there were a lot of different behaviors and needs for the students that other teachers were just burnt out on or didn't have the skills for, and that's okay. 
And it was where my heart was at. This is the classroom that I wanted. These were the children that I wanted to, to teach and dig in with and help them move forward. And typically when you have children who have layers and layers of needs, you also have parents who have a lot of questions and they wanna dig in to their child's education at a whole different level. And I loved that too. But I can remember sitting at an IEP meeting and a parent said to me, do you know the LOVAS method of teaching? And I'm literally, if you could see inside my brain, it was like I was flipping through every set of notes I've ever taken in college, every um, observation I'd ever done as a student teacher. I was going all the way through um, everything and I could not think of that term of what did it mean? So I asked, I said, well, can you share with me what that method looks like. And they described that method and I said, oh, that's the ABA method of direct instruction. Yes, I'm trained in that. And they said, well, we want you to learn from our behavior therapist on how that's done. Now, I might've been a new teacher, but I knew that I actually had to look over to my administrator and say like, am I, am I allowed? Like this, that's just the culture of the school guys. So I, I looked over like, am I allowed? And the administrator is just kind of like, whatever it takes to make these parents happy, because quite honestly, they've already been through a few classrooms and teachers. And um, this was, this is, this just had to work. Okay. So I said, sure, I'd love to, what can we do to make this happen? And so we communicated about getting some training and making sure that I was prompting the same way they were prompting at home. And um, they honestly were a big catalyst into what I'm doing right now today and making sure that home to school communication is open and honest and there are trainings and the IEPs are written well because there was a shift in this child's education. And it wasn't just because I was willing to dig in, it's because uh, we pushed from both sides together to build an appropriate education. And that had a lot to do with being open for more training and collaborating between home to school. All right, let's get to question number four for today. Do we need to explore further options for inclusion? Um, I will do uh, another episode fully on inclusion and different definitions of it and what can happen, what should happen, what, what it can look like, because it's not the traditional version of inclusion that I'm talking about. All right. I'm talking about a child feeling welcomed from the minute that they step onto campus, whether they're a kindergartner, preschooler, all the way up to our transition programs. So they should feel welcomed from the minute they step onto campus to the minute that they arrive back home. And there are opportunities throughout our school days that we are missing. And I'm not talking about art and music and gym and lunch. I'm talking about reading side by side with peers, even independent reading. I'm not even talking about having a reading buddy. I'm talking about creating situations that look like the real world inside of school naturally. I'm talking about making sure that a child has an opportunity to interact with their peers by using their strengths. If the child's strengths are um, in a large group setting, let's go for it. If a child's strengths are in a small group setting, let's set up some inclusion opportunities in that small group setting. You know, we don't have to look at inclusion as can the child keep up in science class? Maybe they can go into science class. That's the wrong way to look 
for inclusion opportunities. So we need to have a further conversation on that, but it does need to be on your list of things to talk about before you walk into that IEP meeting, because when you open up this conversation in a productive way, the teacher and the therapist need time to hunt for those opportunities inside of the school community to include a child at a whole new level. So our fifth question for today is, do we need to explore more technology? Well, that's a big question considering the world that we're in right now. And we've been flipping around from in school to hybrid to full on virtual learning. And technology has been a huge pain in the butt, right? When it comes to school and figuring it all out. And now we have taken a magnifying glass and put it on top of the issue that we already had in special education of our technology not being up to par. So when I'm talking about technology, I'm talking about anything from being able to log into a Google Classroom with their same age peers, if that's a place where they're being included, to being able to use AAC effectively throughout all environments on their school campus. I'm talking about um, any type of technology, high tech or low tech that is needed to access the um, school environment. And right now that means school and home environment. So the technology piece is often looked at for students who are nonverbal, but we need to expand. Can we all agree <laughs> with where we're at in the world right now <laughs> that technology is more important than ever? Like we have to learn how to socialize through technology. We have to learn how to order our groceries through technology. We got to get on this technology train like never before, especially in special education. All right. So let's open up that conversation before your next IEP meeting. And our last question, just to wrap up our series here of 12 questions you need to ask before your next IEP meeting is how does this IEP goal, whichever IEP goal you're looking at, okay? or thinking about, how does this IEP goal apply to the real world? Meaning, no longer should you be accepting IEP goals that are written just for the sake of the curriculum or grade level work or keeping up with peers. An IEP should be used to build a foundation to prepare a child for further education, employment, independent living. Remember, I didn't make that up. That's in the purpose and findings of IDEA law. So. We need to pick the biggest priorities for a child to build that foundation. Again, no matter if they're five years old or 15 years old. And we need to make sure that we're not putting fluff inside of the IEP just because there's a lot of things to work on. And that's a lot of time what happens because we have layers of um, skills that need to be addressed, right? We have a lot of different skills. We could, I mean, let's just face it. In most IEPs, we could write 99 goals and we still wouldn't cover everything that a child needs to learn to be prepared for further education, employment, and independent living. However, if we start with the highest priorities, there's a domino effect that happens that will prepare a child for further education, employment, and independent living. So there's a whole process that I love to teach. It's inside of the special ed inner circle. You can jump into specialedinnercircle.com to continue this conversation to work on 
what is a real world IEP goal? Because I'm telling you, once you cut the fluff out of the IEP, you will see true progress that's meaningful, that makes you excited about your child and your student's education. The special education inner circle is for both parents and teachers, admins and therapists. You guys are welcome too, of course. So this is where we really start to say, okay, what is most important? Because we know the other things are gonna happen during the school day. Like we know that we're gonna work on certain skills naturally within the environment just because we're at school. So, um, and for those of you that are listening on the podcast, just so you know, we are streaming live right now on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. And so we have, um, Haley has asked, can you please repeat where you can download the checklist? Absolutely. And then she says, I wish I could get training from you. Haley, you can have both. So go to iepchecklist.com. You'll download the full list and then go to specialedinnercircle.com. And you can come jump right in and we can do some training that I promise you will not be overwhelming. I'm going to take you step by step at your own pace every month. I'm live with you answering your questions, helping you what needs to get done that month, um, answering you know, uh, these 12 questions and helping you walk through what you need to do next for your team. You also get a full library of online trainings that you have access to for a lifetime. They're yours. You can have them. And then you also get some time one-on-one -on -one with a master IEP coach who will answer your most direct IEP questions. All of that is over at specialedinnercircle.com. Uh, you're going to love it. So Haley, I can't wait to work with you. And um, for everyone who is thinking, yeah, I want the special ed inner circle, but I've been thinking about becoming an IEP advocate. First of all, I try not to cringe I always make a face when I say that word advocate because it's got such an ugly connotation here in special education, um, which is exactly why our program is the master IEP coach because we're talking about coaching through the IEP process without using the law as a weapon, which is honestly how a lot of times this advocacy process is looked at. So if you've ever thought like, yeah, I want to know all of this stuff for myself and I wanna help other people, you can feel something in your heart, in your gut that you want to help other people. Come on over to masteriepcoach.com. I can tell you right now that our February mentorship is the last mentorship of this school year. There's a lot of reasons why. The biggest one is that there's so much going on in the special education community that um, I'm running one last mentorship for this school year, quite honestly, so I can dig in with all the master IP coaches and help them help others um, through that. So if you've been thinking about becoming a master IP coach, again, that's at masteriepcoach.com. You'll want to do that um, right now <laughs> because otherwise you're gonna be waiting a long time because we are super busy in our special education community and we're loving every minute of it because we're getting through these struggles. So these 12 questions that I've given you in part one and part two are um, your steps that you can take to prepare for building IEPs that 
honestly work, guys. I'm telling you, I've been doing this for a long time, but you got to open up the tough conversations. I can see that Sandra has commented here. She says that she loves it. Um, thank you so much for what you do. I've become more confident on what I'm doing for my daughter. I love that. Sandra is part of the special ed inner circle. So she's here listening on the podcast, but then she also digs in deeper with more trainings and more conversations where I can interact directly with her. And that's again at specialedinnercircle.com. All right, guys, go get your list of questions at iepchecklist.com. Start having those tough conversations. And I can't wait to see you inside of the inner circle.